We do thank you that your love for us is beyond what we can even imagine. We thank you that your love truly does have no bounds. And Lord, I pray right now as we go to your word that you would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 27. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one. So raise your hand if you didn't grab one earlier. All right. It's good to be back. I had a great week. Uh, for those of you who only come on Wednesday nights, I had a great week in, in Washington, D.C. It was a really a, a blessed time. Really got a chance to see just how, how much our country was founded on the Lord. And I ordered some DVDs on one of these Sunday nights. I'll show it. There's a guy named Dave Barton that just has incredible knowledge of just the foundation of our country. And as you go through, we did a three-hour tour after everything was closed, and it was just phenomenal that Jesus is on everything. And so we need to see that and be reminded of that because we're told so often, you know, separation of church and state, which is nowhere in the Constitution. We, are, we were founded as a godly nation. We have fallen away from the Lord, but we can continue to pray that God will bring revival to our country. Amen? And I'll start in Santa Cruz. This place needs Jesus. All right. Deuteronomy 27. Tonight's chapter begins Moses' third of four sections. This is really like one long message, but we see that they're broken into four sections. And what does Deuteronomy mean? It means the second law, the second giving of the law. In the first four chapters, he gave the accounts of their time after they left Egypt. He talked about all that they had been through through Sinai, and he talked about all the way up until they came to the place where they refused to enter in because of the giants. And because of the giants that were in the land, we know what happened that an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march, and an entire generation passed away. And because of that, that next generation is now ready to enter into the land of promise. They're already being more faithful. They're already stepping out as God has commanded them to go. They're not making the same mistakes as the previous generation. So, Chapters 1 through 4 talks about things that have happened to the previous generation. Chapters 5 through 26 have been general instructions for this next generation, including the restatement of the covenant at Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given. God spoke audibly to the children of Israel. If you guys were here, you remember that happening. Phenomenal. God speaks to them from the mountain. The earth shook, and so did the people. They were so scared, they said, you know what, Moses, you go talk to him from now on. We, don't, we can't handle it. When he, when he shows up, we, we fall out. And we know what happened is he goes up on the mountain to, to receive the Ten Commandments and make a golden calf, and again, beginning of their downfall. But now, this next generation has been reminded of that, reminded of those Ten Commandments, so they don't make the mistake of the previous generation, that they can indeed enter into the land of promise. Another thing to remember is that Moses is not going to be going in with them. And, and this third address is him giving them, again, these instructions as they prepare to go in. And throughout Israel's history, it had been necessary to call the nation to renew their covenant. And so that's what this is all about, is renewing the covenant with God. And you know what? Maybe you're here tonight, and you need to renew your relationship with God. Maybe you're not walking with God like you used to. Maybe you're not walking with God like you should be. And you know what? We can all be closer to the Lord. Amen. And too often what has happened with the children of Israel, just like happens in our life, we get caught up in the daily activities, we get caught up in the things going on around us, and before we know it, we're not as close to God as we used to be. And as you've heard me say a hundred times, here comes a hundred and one, if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? God didn't move, you did. Amen? 
And we're as close to God as we want to be. And so that's where the children of Israel are. And he's given this command as this next, you know, big event in their life is about to happen, is they're about to go into the land of promise, and they need to renew that covenant. So he's given them instructions in this chapter that as soon as you get into the land of promises, we're going to see that the first thing you need to do is renew your covenant or your promise that you've made to me, that commitment that you've made to me. Later, we would see it happen again at the dedication of Solomon's temple. Each time they had major changes in leadership within the the people of Israel, they would repeatedly make another covenant before God, another promise to the Lord. And again, then like today, there was always a danger in times of change and transformation and also in times of blessing that they can get so caught up with the world around them that they miss out on God. And they began to forget God's calling and His command upon their lives. Here's what we're going to see tonight. And these are things that apply to every one of us. Sometimes we look at these Old Testament books and say, what has this got to do with me? It's got everything to do with you. And we're going to see that he's going to tell them to have the priority of his word. Does that apply to our lives today? He's going to tell them, my word needs to be your priority. You need to keep it in front of your face all the time. You need to not walk away from it and forget it. Because you know what, as soon as we... Have you ever noticed you don't spend any time in God's word and your walk really starts to just fall apart, doesn't it? And it does because that's how we feed ourselves. That's how we feed. That's how we grow. The Bible says we're to desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. And I'm I'm amazed in counseling. I'll talk to people. Yeah, I'm really struggling. My marriage is really struggling. I'm having such a hard time. You read the Bible? Well, not really. I've been too busy lately to read my Bible. I don't really have much of a prayer life anymore. Well, there's your problem. Well, no, Pastor Dave, give me something more profound than that. Now, that's as profound as it gets. Go read your Bible and pray and watch what happens to your marriage. Amen? Go read your Bible and pray and watch what happens in your own walk with the Lord. He's then going to show them the revelation of their own sin and the need for redemption and then the continued calling to walk in obedience. And that when they're obedient, there's blessings. And when they're disobedient, there are consequences to sin. How many of you know that your sin will surely find you out? Amen? And that there are consequences to sin every single time. It may not happen today, but it will happen at some point. And these are the the exhortations we're going to see coming from Moses in tonight's chapter. So here we go. As as Israel prepares to enter into the land of promise, Moses calls the next generation to renew that covenant promise with God. I titled the message tonight, Renewing the Covenant, or for us, Reestablishing Our Commitment to God. Maybe it's a call for you tonight to rededicate your life to the Lord. To get right with him again. To say, you know what, I know I'm not where I should be and I want to be. You can be tonight, amen? You can make that commitment. You can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. We're going to see that the law is written in stone, again, making God's word a priority. We're going to see the sacrificial offerings, again, to remember the cross and our need for redemption. That's how it applies to us. We're going to see the challenge to obey the covenant or the promises of God. We're going to see that call to obedience for our lives today. And then we're going to see the tribes being arranged, and we're going to see blessing and cursing. Okay, and we're going to see that over the next couple of chapters. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at reestablishing our commitment to God, or renewing the covenant for the children of Israel. And we're first going to see that the law indeed has been written in stone, making God's word a priority. Now it says there, now Moses. This is how we know that this is the beginning of the third section. He's speaking speaking about Moses from a third-party perspective. It points the beginning again of this new portion of Scripture. It says, with the elders of Israel. Now, I think this is significant because Moses is joined here by the elders in speaking to the people. In verse 9, he's going to be joined by the priests. 
Now, why is this significant? Because Moses' time is short. And Moses is going to be, again, giving that ministry away. Again, we know Joshua is going to take his place to a certain extent. But really what we're going to see is that the elders and the priests, once they enter into the land of promise, are going to have civil and religious authority in the lives of the children of Israel. You, as, you and I as believers in Christ have those that we submit to in the body of Christ. And we have those that we submit to in the government, and those we submit to in the world. Not when they tell us to do something contrary to God's word, but we are to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. And the fact that Moses, who is always speaking on his own, now has the elders join with him. In verse 9, he's going to have the priests join with him. Again, he's given ministry away. Great example for all of us who are doing ministry. God desires that we give it away. So Moses is joined with them. Later he'll be joined with the priest in announcing this covenant to the people because, again, he's soon going to leave the scene. You know, it's important that the people understand that their commitment was not to Moses but to the Lord. Amen? That's why it's so important to give ministry away because if we do all of it, everybody's going to think we're the only ones that can do it. You know, I've been called a pulpit hog by people before. That just means I love being here. I'm here like every Sunday. If I'm not here, I'm like in India or something, right? Or I'm, 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 I'm on my deathbed. But there's a part of me that's not, that feels like it's good, not that I'd be gone a lot, but that I'd be gone some. Only because I think it's good when Pastor Bill speaks or Joe speaks or other people. Why? Because it's important for you guys to see that it's the Lord who's the head of this church, not any man. Amen? And it's the Word of God that transforms lives. And I know my primary calling is to be here, and I want to be here. There's no place in the world I'd rather be than here. But at the same time, sometimes I think it's good that I'm going to be at the Senior Pastors Conference in a few weeks. And you know what? I want to say this too. It bums me out when I find out that I'm not here, that people don't show up. That's wrong. That's wrong. Don't do that. Amen? Don't do that. Okay? You're not flattering me. You're dishonoring God. Amen? Show up. So we don't... Put our faith in men, because men will fail us. Call my wife, and you'll be really disappointed. You'll probably stop coming to our church, right? I mean, if you find out all the failures in your pastor's life, I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you are. And Moses was given the ministry away, and they needed to put their faith in the Lord and put their faith in God, not in Moses. And it's a good thing they didn't, because Moses had failed. He says there, keep all the commandments which I command you today. Moses had finished finished basically his sermon portion, and now he's exhorting them. He had nothing more to say other than to to exhort them to do what God had commanded. Guys, it's not good enough to know what the Bible says. Knowing what the Bible says is great, but it's meaningless if you don't put it in action in your life. Amen? Too many people know what the Bible says, but it doesn't impact them. God's Word ought to radically transform your life. Amen? And you know what's really scary? If you know what the Bible says, and then you choose not to do it anyway... There's a word for that. It's called rebellion. And when you're in rebellion against Almighty God, that's not a good place to be. It's not a place I ever want to be. So I want to encourage you again. He's exhorting them that it's not good enough to just be hearers of the word. We must be doers also. Not good enough just to know what the Bible says. And again, if anything, it just makes us more accountable to God. When we know what the word says, when we say one thing and do another, there's another word for that, and the word is hypocrite. A lot of people accuse Christians of being hypocrites, don't they? And sometimes they're right on the money with us, aren't they? Because we say one thing and we do another. Hypocrite means a mask wearer. It's somebody pretending to be something that they're not. It's somebody who puts on a face before men, but deep down they're really something else in their actions. 
And God knows who we are all the time. May we be a testimony to the world in both our words and our deeds, not just one or the other. Verse 2, And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you will set up for yourself large stones and whitewash them with lime, or depending on the translation you have, it may say plaster. Now once Joshua led the nation into the promised land, one of the first things they were supposed to do is stop. And they were to build an altar to the Lord. And there's twofold reason why. They were to, in thankfulness for God bringing them into the land that he has, as He had promised, but also that they would not forget that it was God that had brought them there. You know, again, we get into that place of the land flowing with milk and honey. We got the promotion at work and you know, we finally got married or had the kids or whatever that next thing was that we really wanted. And sometimes we can stop being desperate for God and we can get on cruise control with the world and all of a sudden our walk with the Lord starts to suffer. And he says, you know what? You've got to keep your eyes on me. You've got to remain desperate for me. Moses, remember this too, couldn't lead them in. Moses is a type of the what? The law. Because the law cannot save you. Amen? You can't be good enough to get into heaven. Moses couldn't lead them in, so Joshua did. Joshua's name in Hebrew is what? Yeshua, which is Jesus. So we know that it wasn't the law that could deliver us, only Jesus can. Moses couldn't bring them in. Again, a type of the law. Jesus, Joshua, type of the Lord, delivered them in to the land of promise. So having entered into the land of promise, the Lord your God, again, is giving you this land. It's God's promise. And I love this. It says, when you cross, not if. And that's how our God is. His promises, we can take them to the bank. Amen? When you cross into the land, and they were to make this, again, billboard, in a sense, out of large stones, whitewash or plaster them, that they might ride on them. Okay? Verse 3. You shall ride on them all the words of this law. Now, there's some debate about what this means exactly. Some believe it's just the Ten Commandments. Some believe it's the curses and blessings and the rest of this of Deuteronomy we're going to see over the next three chapters. I'm not convinced. I personally believe it's probably the entire book of Deuteronomy. That he wanted them to handwrite the entire book of Deuteronomy in big, bold letters, easy for everybody to see, and post it. So people could read it and see it. It wasn't just something where they were writing it down you know, as, you know, before God. They were writing it down before men. They weren't walking around with Bibles like you and I have. They didn't say, which study Bible I'm going to bring to church this week, right? I mean, they weren't picking out which version. They were, so here, right in front of their face, was going to be the Word of God written down. Now think about how long that would take. Think about how long it would take and how many stones and how big that billboard would have to be to write out the book of Deuteronomy in a real legible way. Now again, it may not have been the entire book. I believe it was. But even if it was the curses and the blessings, at the very least, it was to be a constant reminder to keep the Word of God before their eyes. God's Word was to be a priority. It was to be something that they didn't forget about. And again, it was to be studied and followed, not forgotten. I want to encourage you the same thing. You know what? Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Amen? Be in God's Word every day. You've heard it said before that sin can keep you from this book or this book can keep you from sin. And the more time you spend in God's Word, the more you're going to fall in love with the author. And the more you fall in love with the author, the less likely you are to live a life outside of His will. 
And so we need to be in the Word every day. And God's Word was to be a priority. And He said, I want you to, I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to build this, this monument, in a sense, this altar. And then I want you to whitewash it. And then I want you to write down the law, this law. When you have crossed over, that you may enter into the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Know, I, I find this interesting. He said, write the law that you might cross over. Write the Word of God down and put it before your eyes that you might enter into the land of promise. For us, the land of promise is a type of the Spirit-filled life, right? We talked about this. Egypt, a type of the world. The Red Sea, a type of water baptism being delivered out of bondage. The wilderness, right? And then heading over the Jordan, a picture of water ba- or Spirit baptism. And then heading into that Spirit-filled life. And I find it interesting that he says, when you put the Word of God before your eyes... When you make this monument, making the Word of God a priority, then you will enter into the land of promise. I think there's an application for you and I. You want to have a Spirit-filled walk? We need to be baptized with the Spirit, but we need to be in the Word. Amen? Sanctify your home by the washing of the water of the Word of God. And so you want to have a life that's filled with the Spirit? Spend more time in His Word. You want to decrease and have Him increase? Spend more time in His Word. That you may enter into a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, establishing God's Word as a priority is a prerequisite to entering into God's highest. God's Word is His love letter to us. It leads us into all truth. It gives us direction for life. It truly is the owner's manual. You know, you buy a new car and you crack open, you know, you open up the glove box. Some of you probably do this. Some of you probably never looked at it in your life and wonder why that light went on six months ago and now your car won't start, right? But you have that owner's manual and you pull it out and it's made by the manufacturer and it gives you you know, directions on how to operate the car. Well, guess what? This has been made by the manuf- written by the manufacturer, amen? And he gave it to you to give you instruction to keep the idiot lights from coming on, amen? To keep you from having to fall, you know, have the car blow up and be towed away. If we'll spend time in his word, we won't fall into such desperate situations. The word was written in stone and displayed for all to see, and man, I like that. And what is our government doing? Every place it's written in stone now, for the most part. They're trying to cover it up, chip it away, or wheel it out. Right? Isn't that what they're doing? And they wonder why we struggle. We need to pray for our country. Because we need to get our eyes back on the Lord. And here's the good news. They can't vote God out of office. Amen? He's still going to be God no matter what happens. He says there, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, your God, the God of your fathers, promised you. He reminds them that God is faithful to His promises and we need to be reminded of that as well. Verse 4. Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today and you shall whitewash them with lime. So Mount Ebal is the place where this altar was to be set up. And it's interesting that Mount Ebal means bald or barren. It means a place that's just desolate. But... In that desolate place is where the Word of God is going to be set up. Where the the Word of the law is going to be ever before their eyes. And we'll talk about the significance of that as we continue on through the chapter. Mount Ebal is in an interesting place. It's at the base. The base of it is the city of Shechem. Now why is that interesting? Because Shechem is where the Lord first appeared to Abraham. And it's where Abraham built his first altar. And it's a place where God told Abraham that he would give him the land. Do you think it's by chance 
that he built the altar there. God said, I'm going to give you the land. Now, all these hundreds of years later, being delivered out of bondage, he brings them right back to the same spot to build an altar to remind them of the faithfulness of God's word and and the priority that God's word should have in their life. So they don't fall back into the same trap they just came out of. Have you ever noticed how we continue to repeat the same sin over and over? Why do we do that? You know what? I find that, again, as a Christian, I don't, I'm not sinless, but I do sin less. And I find in my own walk, the more time I spend in God's Word, the more desperate I am for God, even less I sin. Amen? And, I, and we'll never get to the place of sinless perfection until we get to heaven. But I do believe we can walk sanctified lives. And we can live lives set apart to God. And our sin should be less and less. And this altar was to be before their eyes as a reminder of God's faithfulness, a reminder of the fulfillment of His promise to Abraham. And again, the choice of that location was a clear reminder to give again. That lamb would come to the descendants. And the billboards with the words of the law were to be set up as soon as they entered in. And then later, the Lord would command them to put the word on the doorpost. Remember that? The Jews still do it today. They have mezuzahs, and they put them on their doorposts, and they go by and touch them, and think they've kind of missed it. It's not just wrapping it up and hiding it and sticking it somewhere and touching it when you go by. It's putting it in your heart. It's memorizing. Can I encourage you to memorize Scripture? People say, well, I have a hard time memorizing stuff. Really? Youth group kids used to tell me that, and then I'd start humming a song. And they'd all know every word. You know? And back in the day, it could be some trash like Madonna or something, right? And they know every word, and I'm like, now wait a minute. Do you know there are more words in that song than are in the, you know, the 23rd Psalm? Oh, conviction, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? Instead of walking around humming, you know, one of those garbage songs. I don't even know any of them, praise God. But you know what? Be, be, have the Word of God in your heart. Have that going over and over. God's Word, the priority and the authority in the new land. Now, why did he want to do this? Because he knew that when they got there, they were going to be confronted with the Canaanite gods. He knew when they got there, all the idols were going to be everywhere. He knew the propensity of man, which is to go with the flow and be like the world around you. Now, am I the only one that's ever fallen into that trap? Right? You look at, you know what, you want to know what kind of person you are? Look at the people you hang out with. And I know my own walk, if I really... You know, if I start hanging out with the world or just start listening to some of the world's opinions and start chasing that garbage, before I know it, that's where my mind goes. And you know what? Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Amen? And they were not to fall. He didn't want them to fall in that Canaanite trap. And he said, put my word before your eyes so you don't forget me. Make that the first thing you do so you will see it. It'll be in front of you and you will not forget me. And also that they would not fall because of the physical comfort. You know, the pagan idol worship will be going on around them, but also, we're not slaves anymore. And we don't have to even worry about getting manna. And all of a sudden, we're in a land flowing milk and honey. Life's pretty good. I'm pretty comfortable. I don't have to be desperate for God anymore. And you know what? We live in a country where we can be very comfortable in comparison to most of the rest of the world. You may not think you're very rich. Come on June 5th on that Sunday night and listen to how those children live in Haiti. And tell me you're not rich. Amen? We are very, we're too rich in that sense because it, we just get comfortable. We're comfortable. We think it's really rough when, you know, the cable's out. You know what I mean? Man, my favorite kind, well, we got 11 kinds of soda in my fridge. My favorite kind's not here. I'm just being persecuted for my faith, right? I mean, we, we just think we're suffering 
We think we're suffering because I got a two-year-old mattress. You know what I mean? And there's people sleeping on concrete. It's all relative. And I think in some cases we fall into the same trap he was warning them against. Don't let the, the Canaanites around you get your eyes off of me. And don't let the land flowing with milk and honey make you so comfortable that you don't think you need me anymore. Lord, keep us desperate. And so we see the first way in reestablishing our commitment to God or renewing the covenant for the children of Israel was to have the law written in stone or making God's word a priority. The second thing we're going to see is there needed to be an offering. They needed to remember that a sacrifice is necessary. For you and I, it points to the cross and our need for redemption. Look at verse 5. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. So right next to the wall with the word of God on it and the law on it, what does the law do? We're going to see it as we continue on. It reminds us that we fall short. And so praise God right next to the law was going to be the altar. The altar is a picture of the what? The cross. Amen? If you say Jesus, you're almost always right, so that's good. But the altar is a picture of the cross. And so what they did is that the the law was before them, but now they were going to make offerings. And the offerings were necessary because the law could not save them. Now, some people struggle with this. Now, wait a minute. Why do I need to know the law if the law can't save me? Why do I need to study the Word if the Word itself, if it's only the shed blood of Christ that can save me? Because it's the law that reveals our need for the Savior. It's the law that brings about conviction. It's also the law that does give us direction and wisdom for a holy living. Amen? But it cannot save us. It's the, again, the shed blood of Christ that redeems us. Over and over in Scripture. Notice what it says here. They're not to put a tool on these rocks. Why? Those of you who've been coming for a while, you know the answer. The sacrifice was to be made there, but the altar was not to be anything special. The altar was not to be some magnificent, ornate, beautiful thing. You know why? Because God knew what would happen. People would start worshiping the altar. If you made the altar out of diamonds and you had tools on it and it looked all Santa, people would be going, ooh, the altar. And they would, not, they would forget that you even needed a sacrifice. You know what? We're living in those times today. I've been in some of the most beautiful churches in the world. I've been in some in Europe and different places. And you walk into some of these buildings and you're like, whoa, this is an awesome altar. And you know what happens? You go into these churches and it's not always the case, but everyone I've ever been to, dead as a doornail. You know why? Because people go in and are taking pictures of the altar. And they're talking about how beautiful the altar is and how magnificent it is. And look at the paintings. Look at the marble. And look at the etchings in the wall. And I wonder how much this cost. And you know what? They walk out and they never even think about Jesus. Why? Because the building is so beautiful that the focus is on the building. You know what? I'm going to be direct. There's There's a thought. Hard to imagine. We don't need any crystal cathedrals. Amen? We need Christ centered cathedrals. We need places where Christ is glorified. You know what? The building should be functional, and that's it. It shouldn't be sloppy and falling apart. It's God's house. We should take care of it. But you know what? It should be functional and nothing more. People should not walk out going, man, that gym is sweet, right? (laughs) Praise God we don't have that problem. People aren't stealing our chairs or anything else, right? What happens instead is my heart would be you come here and you meet Jesus here. 
And you go out here talking about the Lord and the love of God and His Word. And so he's saying the same thing here. Look, don't make this altar so ornate. It's a place for the sacrifice. The sacrifice should get all the focus. And Jesus Christ must get all the focus. Again, God knows our tendency to get caught up in the things of this world. The message can be drowned out by the architecture. Keep things simple and functional. And you know what? What will happen is a movement becomes a memorial, and the memorial becomes a monument. And there's a lot of churches today that are deader than a doornail. And you know what happens? The building becomes the church. Because there's no life in the people. And when they say church, they think of the building. Go to the church. They go down to the building. We are the church. Amen? Amen. Wherever we meet. And praise God for that. So the people, again, can be focused on a casket. Keep on going where there's no life. And these tools were not to touch the altar. One other note, potentially, they may not have had tools in Israel yet, so it could also be that they were not to do this because they'd have to mix with the Canaanites. Now, we know that God had allowed them to build the tabernacle and do some certain things, but we don't know what kind of tools they used, but that's just one other, again, side note to think about. Verse 6 and 7. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. Two types of offerings. The burnt offering. And what is the burnt offering? The burnt offering is the sacrifice, the sacrificial offering that was completely and totally consumed. Now it's a picture of Jesus who gave his all for us. Amen? Now, what's also, though, is a picture of us that God has called us to dedicate ourselves to Him completely. Not give Him some. Not I surrender some, right? I surrender all. Amen? I give you all of my life, Lord. It all belongs to you. And so next to the written law was the altar of this blood sacrifice. Because as the Bible tells us in the New Testament, that the law is a schoolmaster that leads us to the cross. And so right next to the place where they would see the law that would reveal their sin was a place where their sin could be taken care of. Or in their case, pushed forward toward the coming Messiah. For you and I, looking back at the work of the cross. Not only a burnt offering, though, there was a peace offering. And the peace offering was where one was, a, in a sense, a sober dedication. This was a joyful celebration. The peace offering was shared between the priest and the ones who made the sacrifice and the people. It was almost like an agape feast. And so they brought this thing and they all shared the food together and it was in celebration of their fellowship with God. And it's not by chance that the burnt offering came first and then the peace offering. Because only through the burnt offering can there be the peace offering. Only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ can you and I know peace. Amen? And you and I have joy and you and I celebrate our walk with God. Verse 8. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. So again, the word was to be delivered plainly. And you know what? I like that. I'm just, when I was in D.C., I mean, most, there was 25 speakers and 22 of them or so were great. And a couple of them just killed me. And one guy was so impressed with the vocabulary that he wanted to show it off. I got no idea what he was talking about. I'm sitting there and he's talking these words and I'm like, I know the Bible a little bit and I don't even know what you're talking about, man. You know what it was? He was so impressed with himself. And my dad told me many years ago, son, keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach them. Amen? Teach the Word of God in a way that an eight-year-old can understand and nobody will be baffled. 
And so instead of getting up here and talking about the aorist tense of the past participle of the Greek, right? We're not going to do that. I may say to you in the original language this word means. Why? Because an eight-year-old can understand that. Amen? And so if you're not understanding my messages, come back when you're eight, okay? I mean, the point is, I try to make it as simple. Why? It should be simple. And the Lord said, deliver it plainly. Make it simple. Don't hide it. Don't cover it up. And that's the other thing. Don't dumb it down to where you change the meaning, though. Amen? Speak the truth in love, but speak the truth and don't water it down. God's word, understood, brought about sober dedication and joyful celebration. The law without sacrifice condemns us, but the law points us to the sacrifice and brings about conviction, and we need to be convicted. So, reestablishing our commitment to God, renewing the covenant for the children of Israel, the law written in stone, making God's word a priority, the sacrificial offerings for you and I remembering the cross and our need for redemption, and in verses 9 and 10, the challenge to obey the covenant. The Moses and the priests, notice again, now the priests are involved, Moses and the priest, the Levites, spoke to all of Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Now does that mean they were not the children of God before this? They were the children of God before this, but you know what? They were walking in rebellion before this. Amen? And what he's saying is, you're walking in obedience to me now. If you come into the land and you put up my word and you make the sacrifice and then you stand with me, now you're my people. You know what? We need more people like that today to stand with God. Amen? To not water down the word, not be ashamed of God's word, not hide your Bible at work, not be afraid of what the world thinks. You've become the people of the Lord. They were rebellious children wandering in the wilderness. Now they faithfully entered into the land of promise. Promise at this point established His word before the eyes of the people, built an altar for their sacrifices. You are my people. Man, I love that. Man, I can't think of nothing greater to be said about anybody than that. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today. So now you obey the voice. If you are my people, then you obey. Again, obedience doesn't produce salvation, but salvation should produce obedience. Amen? Again, that's not legalism. That's fruit. Amen? It's legalism to pound on someone's head and say, you don't do that. No, but what happens is, once I've been redeemed, once I've been born again then I want to obey. Obedience is not a no-fun bummer to me. It's a joy. It's the owner's manual. Put oil in the car or it will blow up. Good idea, right? Read your Bible. Spend time in the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. You know, seek after God with your whole heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. These are instructions for godly living and joyous living. Amen? And so obeying Him is a get-to, not a have-to, and it brings about great joy. And because, again, being God's people, we should desire to obey His Word. And having entered into God's highest, God's Word is a priority. It reveals our need for redemption and the command to obey His Word. So here He commands them, you shall obey. And I want to encourage you again, as Christians, obedience is not a thing that you can decide on yes or no every day shouldn't be. You disobey God, you separate yourself from Him. You break fellowship. Am I His child? Yes, you are. 
You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. He loves you. But can you break fellowship with God? Yes, you can. Because he will not force you to walk in the center of his will. Now let's move on and look at the arrangement of the tribes and their significance behind this. Verse 11, And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, when they enter in and they get to to Mount Ebal, on one side is Mount Gerizim, and on the other side is Mount Ebal. They're very close to each other. There's a valley that runs between them that's like a natural amphitheater. And so what he said was, when you go into the land, I want these six tribes to go up on the top of Mount Gerizim. Now, Gerizim, those who went there, were going to be those who pronounced blessings. And what's interesting, Gerizim is a beautiful, lush, green hill. It's got wells and orchards and It's beautiful. Right across the valley on the other side, Mount Ebal, barren desert. And those who were going to pronounce cursings would go to that side. What a picture for the people that were there. They would see blessing on one side and cursing on the other. The blessings of obedience and the cursings of rebellion. And you know what? I think as Christians, we need to have that visual picture to understand that when when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And we walk in disobedience to the Lord... God's name is mocked, our our worship is hindered, our testimony is harmed, and we deal with the consequences. It's so clear. And we can't be on both mountains. It's one or the other. Choose today whom you're going to serve. You can't serve God and mammon. And so he arranges them by tribes. And on Gerizim, it's interesting that Gerizim is also the place where Jesus ministered to somebody, the Samaritan woman. It's on that same mountain. And she talks about the worship going on there. Now half of the tribes are on the Mount of Blessing. And Now which six tribes get to be on the Mount of Blessing? Well, it's interesting. They're all sons of Rachel and Leah. The two wives that the Lord... Now, two wives, that's wrong, okay? Make it real clear. Pastor Dave said two wives, so it's good. No, it's not. Amen? I'm not, I'm not interested in that at all. That's just not a temptation for me. I don't know about you guys. One is good, okay? Two would be... Very difficult. Uh, these guys, I see these guys, you've seen these guys on TV married to like nine women? I'm like, dude, you're out of your mind. I mean, it's amazing. How in the world? I can't imagine, okay? So he says here that these six tribes go up on the mountain, and the mountain of blessing, verse 13. But then he says, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Now, Four of them are the sons of Zilpah and Bilhah, which were the handmaids, right? They were not the actual wives of Abraham. They remember when they couldn't have children, go into my handmaid, right, and have more children, okay? So these were done out of the marriage bond. Now, what about Reuben, though? He's the oldest, and he's the son of Leah. Why is he on this mountain? Well, Reuben got caught up in an incestual relationship, and he lost his Status is firstborn son. He lost his inheritance. So it's not by chance that he happens to be on the side with the cursing. Okay? Now, I want you to understand, this doesn't mean that those on that side are cursed. But I'm telling you what, I don't want to hang out on the barren side. How about you? But they all got sent up there. Zebulun just happened to be the youngest of the sons of Leah. So he had six tribes on one side, six tribes on the other. And now, as we see in verse 14, marching down the middle is going to be the Levites. And they're going to call out these cursings first that we're going to see in this chapter and also there's some blessings they would cry out and the people are to respond 
And this is just, again, a real active way of teaching them that sin indeed does have consequences, and obedience does also result in great fruit. So here they are, these tribes are mounted up, this natural amphitheater running between them. Verse 14, And the Levite shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel. So the Levite stood in the valley between the two, and they would walk through reciting the blessings and curses, and the people mounted up on each side would listen to each proclamation, and they would respond with one word, a word I really like. Amen. There it is. <laughs> Amen. Which means so be it. And I love when you know, people call, I don't know if you know this, I think I've mentioned it to you. I've had people call, and, you know, and they don't know it's me, they'll call from the radio program, and they'll say, if that pastor of yours says amen one more time, I'm going to throw my radio out the window. I had one lady told me, that pastor, that preacher of yours has turned the word amen into a cuss word. Make sure you tell him. And I'm like, I'll let him know. And so, <laughs> and people used to talk about I move my hands too much. Now what I love about this is there's a part in the New Testament where it says, Paul motioning with his hands taught them saying, I'm like, there it is, see? Praise the Lord. Now look at this. They say amen a whole bunch of times in this chapter. And praise God. Amen. So be it. This encourages your pastor. All right. I'm, it's biblical. It's right there. Amen. All right. So be it. Okay. It denotes again the clear attentiveness to the word of God that was being delivered. Amen was said again. So they, they were saying, we agree. So be it. What is being taught? Yes, we agree. And that's what the word amen means. When I say to you guys often, the way I say it, and again, it goes back to me being a youth pastor for years, it's, I say it almost like a question, like, amen? Like, do you agree? Or so be it? Are we, are we tracking here? Do you believe what the Bible just said? That's amen. Okay, do we agree? That's it. Okay, so here this is what happens. The declaration of curses, the consequences of sin. And now he's going to give a heavy-duty list. And let's go through these fairly quickly. Verse 15. Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people in answer shall say, Amen. Amen. And you know what? Exclamation point. I like that. So he, he says a real, now look, he says, guys, if you make molded images, if you make a false god, then guess what's going to happen? It's an abomination in the eyes of the Lord, and even if you set it up in secret, even if nobody else knows, God knows. And that's what he's telling them. Now why, now this is the first and second commandment, right? Thou shalt have no other god before me, thou shalt make no graven image. First and second commandment, reworded. But he's letting them know, why? Because they're getting ready to go into a land filled with idols. And he's telling them, if you fall into this trap, you're going to face the wrath of Almighty God. Cursed is the man who does this. And even if you think you're doing it in secret and nobody else knows, God knows. And then they all said, Amen. Now what's interesting about that is that later if they were caught, you were there, right, at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and you said, Amen. You said, so be it. What you were saying is, if I disobey this, so be it. Bring the cursing and the, disobedience, the, the fruit of disobedience and rebellion upon me if I disobey God's word. So be it. Amen. You know what? We need to have that heart about God's word today. That we say, so be it, and we mean it. You know what, Lord? So be it if I disobey your word that I'm going to reap the consequences. Too often we want to blame God when we reap the consequences of our sin. 
We disobey God. We go contrary to his word 100%. We walk in it for days and weeks and months. And then we're mad and go, well, God just left me. Yeah, he, absolutely. He did. No, you left him. Amen. You ran away from him and he let you go. He will never force himself on you. And again, even if done in secret, God would know. More than just an agreement with the words that were spoken, it was acceptance of the terms of the covenant. Amen. So be it. It included God's divine judgment. And we say we believe in the word of God. We too need to say amen That's all, to all that is in it. Do we esteem the word of God to this point? Do we hold it in such awe and reverence? Verse 16. Cursed is the man who treats his father or mother with contempt. And all the people say, Amen. There it is. Now, the word for contempt here is for children to teach their parents dishonorably. To speak to them in a way that, again, comes across like you're despising them. Now, this is the fifth commandment. You shall honor your mother and father. Now, I want to say this. I've been guilty of this myself. And I want to encourage you that especially you dads. You're not doing your kids any favors if you allow them to disrespect you sometimes. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is just let it go. Oh, whatever. Don't do that. Amen? Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. And I'll tell you what else. As dads, we should never, ever, 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 ever let our kids disrespect their mom. We need to step up and bring the right hand of correction. Amen? Or the Board of Education, like I have in my house. It says it right on there, the Board of Education. And you just apply it to the seat of learning, and things work out really well. We're not doing our kids any favors. Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. The Bible says the rod will drive disobedience far from Him. You don't do it in anger, and you don't do it to hurt them physically. But you know, when I spank my kids, they know it. When I have any love taps, I, you know, it's coming with some force. If they're not walking out going, whoo, whoo, that's not hard enough then, right? Why? Because I want them to remember. Next time they go to talk to their mom, oh, oh no, I don't want that. Wrath of dad coming around the corner, right? And you know what? I don't, I don't, and again, I think it's okay for moms to discipline, but dads, you need to be the primary source of discipline in the house. Amen? Especially as my kids are getting older, my boys are getting bigger. You know, there's that, they start to, I'm bigger than my mom now. I, I tell my kids all the time, you'll never be bigger than me. You better just know it, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I keep working. Okay, the kids are getting bigger, all right? got to just make sure we keep them in, in line at home, all right? Again, in love. I love my kids more than I can, I can tell you. I can hardly stand it. I love them so much. But we need to love them enough. As I've told my children before, I love you enough to have you be mad at me if it's necessary for the next five years because I'm not going to dial down the Word of God so that you'll like me more. Amen? I'm going to love you enough to teach you the truth. It says there, Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Now, the landmark was property lines. So don't go out in the middle of the night tonight and move your, your neighbor's fence five feet. <laughs> right? Move the fence over. I've got a bigger house now. Around here, if you moved a fence five feet, you'd probably make like $500,000, right? It's so true. They probably, so they were, now in, their, in their land, it was their inheritance too. So they were stealing the inheritance from the next generation, and he said, don't do that. There would be those, again, who would not be satisfied. God gave them plenty. Has God given you plenty? So why are we trying to take more from somebody else? And that's the point. I'm, I'm bringing you the land flowing with milk and honey. Be satisfied with what I've given you, verse 18. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. 
And all the people say, Amen. Amen. Now, in this case, this was talking about, in, in Leviticus 19, it also speaks of the death. But it's taking advantage of somebody who is unable to, you know, you, you can get over on them because they're disabled in some way. I believe this is anybody. Maybe they don't understand. Maybe there's a language barrier, and you can get away with something. And he's saying, you know what, don't do that. And God knows if you're doing that, amen? We should minister to them, not take advantage of them. And that was the Lord's heart. And he knew that that would happen in the land, and he knew that there were those who were taking advantage of the disadvantage among the, the Canaanites. And there would be a temptation to follow in that same trap. Again, though the victim may not be able to identify you, some people take advantage of old people and stuff because they well, don't, they won't be able to find me. They won't be able to, you know, the blind person will be able to point me out, right? God will know, and that's all that matters. Verse 19. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Now in this case, he's talking about those who are disadvantaged again. Taking advantage of the poor. Taking advantage of the orphans. The Bible says the pure and undefiled religion is to minister to the orphans and the widows. I encourage you, go home and go on, I think it's forhisglory.org. Go on, it's got the Haiti website, it's got the children that are up for adoption. It will just, it will just wipe you out. And we as a church are going to be more proactive in supporting that. Why? Because that is God's highest. That is pure and undefiled religion to minister to those kids. Amen? And what I love, their, their focus is getting those kids into Christian homes. And there's nothing better that can happen to those children. We want to pray for them. And so he says, so you don't take advantage of those who are hurting. Now, verses 20 through 23, he's going to deal with the areas of sexual sin. Cursed is the one who lives with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Now, understand. Incest was a problem in the religions of the pagans. And so was bestiality. And what was going to happen is they were going to walk in, this was going to be going on all around them, and he said, don't you fall into the same trap as the pagans are worshiping. And you know what? We might say, well, I'm not going to struggle with those kinds of things, and, and more than likely we won't, but we can start falling into the traps of the world that we live in. And we can start to think that homosexuality is okay, and it's not. Amen? It's sin. Now, do we love the homosexuals? Absolutely. By the way, they're heterosexuals practicing homosexuality. There are no homosexuals. It's a behavior. It's not a birth defect. Amen? It's a choice that people make. Just like adultery, just like any other sin is a choice. But he's saying, look, you're going to go into the land, you're going to be surrounded by it. Don't fall into that trap. Don't you allow yourself to become like the world. Verse 22, cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, amen. amen. Now in this case, it's your half-brother or half-sister. He's saying, you know, it might be the, only the child of your father. You might, you're not to have that kind of relationship with them. And cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. Now, there's no blood relation here, but all the people shall say, amen. amen. Again, though not blood-related, again, sexual perversion is... is not only an abuse of the gift of God. God created the physical relationship for marriage. And God says it's a good thing. Amen? Like fire, fire is a good thing in the fireplace. Put fire in the drapes, bad. Right? The physical relationship in marriage, good thing. Blessed by God. Outside of marriage, burns your house down. Destroys your family. Destroys your marriage. Destroys your relationship with your kids. Now, it's interesting. 
that this warning is here because this is one of the greatest gateways, even today, to get people's eyes off of God. And I believe this is the, one of the most selfish acts there is. Because that gratification is all about me. I don't care about my kids right now. I don't care about my family right now. I don't care about God right now. I just want physical pleasure for me right now. And I don't care about the consequences. You know, let hell come if it will. And that's the attitude until afterward when the consequences start coming. And I want to just share this with you because, you know, when I was doing prison ministry, I found this to be incredible, that most of the guys that I met on death row started off their criminal activity by getting involved in pornography. Because you know what pornography does? It desensitizes you to, be, to people. And then it desensitizes you to the way you should care for other people. And many sexual criminals, rapists, etc. began with pornography. And I, wanna, I wrote down here some things about pornography. And this is going to be direct again. A man who's involved in pornography cannot live a spiritual life. Amen. There it is. If you're involved in pornography, you cannot walk with God. Period. Amen. You need to repent of that and you need to get it right. Here's what else it does. It alienates you from your wife if you're married. It alienates you from your wife. It breaks that bond between you and your wife. You cannot have a pure relationship with your daughter, dad. I believe it taints your relationship with your daughter because all that garbage is now is going on in your head. I also believe you lead your son into sin because he sees the example of his father because your sin will surely find you out someday and then your kids are going to know that you are, dis, you are unfaithful to your mom even though it didn't go out, quote, outside of the marriage. You know what else? If you're in pornography, you're a liar and a cheat in your daily life. Because you're lying to your wife, you're lying to your, your, your employer, because often that's where a lot of times people go, I can't even believe this, people go on pornography sites at work, which means you're cheating and stealing from your boss, and you're cheating on your wife. You're cheating. You lie to your wife, you cheat on your family, you cheat on your employer, and you're disobeying God. Amen. Is that pretty direct? Now here's the thing about it, it's an epidemic. This is why I bring it up. I know I'm taking a minute on this, it's an epidemic. And it's an epidemic even within the church. You know why? Because it's a sin, just like building the idol in secret. It's something that people do that they think nobody else can know. The people who would never go down to a strip club and walk in in front of 500 people can go on their internet site at home with the doors closed and locked and nobody home and look at this garbage and think that nobody God sees. And it does impact your marriage. And I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with that tonight, the Lord loves you. And you can take a million steps away from God, and it's only one step back, and He can deliver you from that tonight. Amen? Amen? I want to encourage you. Don't take it lightly, because it does lead to greater and greater sin. I know we're almost, I'm almost done here. Verse 24. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. Have you noticed this word secret is there a lot? Because what we think we do in secret, God knows. And all the people say... Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. And all the people say... Amen. Now, this is interesting. We think this is a hitman, right? Somebody takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. You know what I see as being the greatest epidemic of this today? Abortion doctors. They are taking the bribe to slay innocent people. They are killing children for money. Now, when this goes on the radio, I'm going to be real popular again. That's okay. You know what? If you're hearing this on the radio, the Lord can forgive you and you need to stop doing it. Amen? The point is that slaying children, killing babies for money. That's what abortion is, isn't it? Now, again, I want to make it real clear. If you're a woman here and you've had an abortion and you've asked God to forgive you, He has. Amen? Amen. 
I want you to know he loves you. If you're, if you're a man here and you, have, you got involved in a relationship and the girl you were with had an abortion, God has forgiven you if you've asked him to. And you don't need to carry, we don't need to carry that guilt around, amen? God's forgiven us. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. But at the same time, we see this here, that not to take a bribe to slay an innocent person. And cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and all the people shall say, Now, this is hard because he's saying, Now, if you don't keep all the law, uh uh-oh. So if you break any law, you're in trouble. That's what it says. Matter of fact, in Galatians 3.10, Paul quotes this verse, and he says... In, in, in Galatians 3.10, to prove that no one could be saved by the law, since nobody can obey all that God commanded. The pers- purpose of the law is not salvation, but conviction. To realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. It is a, mer- a mirror that reveals our need for a Savior. You break one law, you've broken them all. So in closing, we see here that the law has been written in stone. It revealed man's sin, but it showed them their need for the sacrifice. Again, that's why we have the law. It shows us our need for a Savior. We cannot keep the law enough to save us, but once we've been saved, we ought to have a desire to walk in obedience to the Word of God. Okay? I know that sounds like the same thing, but it's not. It's really not. Salvation produces obedience, not the other way around. So reviewing the covenant, renewing the covenant, reestablishing our commitment to God, The law written in stone for you and I making God's word a priority. The sacrificial offerings were necessary because of the law. For you and I, because of our sin, we were in desperate need of redemption. And that's why we need to remember the work of the cross. May it never grow common. The challenge to obey the covenant. God has called us to walk in obedience. The arrangement of the tribes as we saw tonight. There was blessing and cursing. If we walk in obedience to God, there's blessing. And we walk in rebellion against God, there's, there's consequences for our sin. And then lastly, we saw clearly the consequences of sin again throughout the rest of that chapter. Now the good news is we're going to start seeing some blessings in the coming chapters. But I want to encourage you. Here's the good news. What I love. Mount Ebal was where all the cursing was, but Mount Ebal was where the altar was. Think that's by chance? The place where the cursing was, was the place where the sacrifice was made. And you know what? The place where we were separated from God while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't come for the righteous, but He came for the wicked. And that's all of us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word And Lord, we just thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. I do pray for anybody here tonight that is not where they need to be with you, that, Lord, that tonight they would stand before you and say, Lord, restore me to you. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Lord, you know the areas of hidden sin in my life, and Lord, just forgive me, and he will. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here struggling with secret sin that maybe they think no one else knows, Lord, you know. And Lord, I pray they would not be acceptable in their lives anymore. I pray for all of us that we can say amen, just like those people said amen, just like the children of Israel said amen, that, Lord, we want all the consequences of our actions because, Lord, we know that through the consequences of sin, you draw us back into right fellowship. Through the correction, through the discipline, Lord, you do it out of love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to correct us. So, Father, I just ask that you would fill us with your spirit, help us to walk in the center of your will, to seek you above all else, We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and close the worship song.